Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Look, I get that some people think if they buy a ticket, they've got the right to yell whatever abusive shit they want at footballers. But they're not just footballers. They're also people. And none of us know what is going on in each other's lives. So for Isaac to do what he did today, even though it was wrong, I give him love. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learned from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own Lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Welcome back to What Would Ted Lasso Do? This week we are covering uh, Season 3, Episode 9, La Locker Room Au Full. And uh, this episode was written by Chuck Hayward and directed by Erica Dunton. Are you familiar with the musical that the title is based on? No, I just knew it was a musical. It's uh, based on La Caja Full. It's a reference to which was actually a play about a gay couple that was later turned into a French film and then a Broadway musical. And so what I found really, really interesting in this episode is there's only three songs, which is so rare because usually there's so much music. Oh, wow. And two out of the three are from La Caja Full. And the song sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard it many times before. So I'm sure it's been used in other things for sure. But anyway, welcome back. It's good to see you. I feel like we haven't done this in a bit, so... I know, I'm excited. (laughs) There's kind of three key storylines in this one, which is nice because I feel like this season we've had so many storylines to juggle, and this felt kind of like... I was like, oh, we're... As I was taking notes the other day, I was like, oh, we're already back to this person, or we're already back to this person. This felt more focused. Yeah, yeah. So we've got Colin, obviously, which is the big story. Mm -hmm. We've got Roy, and we've got Nate. What did you feel? What kind of uh, overarching themes did you notice or feel in this episode? The overarching themes for me were uh, difficult conversations, confronting issues directly. I felt like, especially the theme at the beginning with Colin trying to have a hard conversation, but the people not ready to have it, that popped up for me. And then Nate with Rupert. It was just like things that were either unsaid and then finally said are things that we were never actually addressed. So mm-hmm. the difficult conversation theme came up for me. And even with Rebecca with Roy, you know, yeah, there were a lot of hard conversations people were having. Yeah, I could see that. I could see how like how sometimes we don't know what to say or how to say it. So I could see that. For me, I think it was um, back to vulnerability and kind of taking off the mask or being seen as whole and empathy. And 
I think like for me, the the kind of thread through this whole thing was also just this idea of this is going to sound very like simple, but like uh, what it means to be human. Right. And so like for Colin, like this whole thing about being whole and not compartmentalizing different parts of himself. Right. Mm-hmm. And then for Roy, it was the ability to see the humanity in others and how he talks about, you know, you never know what other people are going through. And then accepting our own humanity sometimes that we're not perfect and yep. and kind of how we can let our anger and whatever get in the way and destroy something sometimes that's actually really meaningful. And so, yeah, so that's what came up for me. But um, let's jump in. So were you referencing in terms of the music that sounded familiar, the opening song or? Yeah, the opening song. Yep. Yeah. So that is uh, the music from La Caja Full and it's like the opening and we see the team just like vibing, pure bliss, like so joyful. And this is like their this is total football, right? Yeah, they're finally allowed to be themselves and allowed to play. And they're and this is I was just talking to a, a reporter yesterday about this, where it was like, you know, like, well, what's the benefits of play? And I was like. When you see a team that really enjoys playing with one another, they really do play on a different level as there's so much trust built that there's a lot of things that go unsaid and don't need to be said because there's almost like a connection or understanding that's like beyond language. You know, you're just in such flow as a group. And that's really difficult for a group to get to. But I feel with each and every playful thing that the team has done they built a certain level of just connection with each other yeah i love that you just said that because it also brings to mind like you can see that connection between vulnerability and play as well right like play requires a certain level of vulnerability to let yourself like let your guard down and like actually find joy in this thing with other people. And it reminds me like in MPEG, we, when we're talking about um, flow, we do an improv exercise and you have to kind of get out of your head. I'll speak for myself. Like I get very in my head when it comes to like being playful in a professional setting or whatever, right? Like I will think 50 times about like, well, what's this person going to think of me if I say this? Or what's going to happen if I do this? Or and like that idea of getting into flow, which is where we are in that space of, you know, things just happening and we're just challenged enough, but we're moving and we're enjoying this thing. Like you have to get out of your own head to do that, right? Yeah. And so that requires that trust. And so I love that, you know, like how you're talking about like play actually does contribute to us building trust because it's allowing us to be vulnerable and you have to rely on the people around you. And also play builds a certain level of empathy and compassion and humanity for other people, right? You know, uh, I may have mentioned this earlier, Dr. Stuart Brown, the doctor of play, one of his most famous studies he did when he was like in his 20s and it was about uh, the Texas shooter. It was one of the first mass shooters in america that went to the clock tower and shot people and he went back to his play history and found that he didn't play a lot as a kid he wasn't able to build actual connection and humanity for other people so it was much easier for him 
to disconnect and do what he did. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting from a play standpoint, team wise, right, is like I reference, you know, I live in Oakland, California, and, you know, I reference the Golden State Warriors all the time and how they're like one of the most playful teams in the NBA. And that's why they're successful. But before the year started, there was a massive fight between two of the major players and one of them got knocked out. It caused such a ripple because at the same time that plays really powerful, it's also plays very vulnerable. So it, you know, trust can be broken very easily in play because you get hurt. Yeah. And someone got knocked out. Someone got hurt and it affected the entire team for the entire season. And they couldn't focus, you know, and attaching that to Ted Lasso, right? Like, because there's that small rift between McAdoo and Colin that you could see it eventually affecting them on the pitch, right? Until they're able to address that. Yeah. So, but like, look at the level of trust that was built when Colin told the team and then they play really well in the second half. So like there's, you know, it's amazing how play play is so vulnerable and play is so powerful, but also play can't and trust can be broken so easily in it you know, at any moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's, let's jump into that. So we, we start with this total football. Everyone's out there having fun. They're joyful. They're playing and Isaac scores the goal, but then that leads us into this story between Colin and Isaac. Right. So it's really Colin's story, but it's really like looking at Isaac's reaction to it. And so in our last episode, we had the issue with the cell phones and Isaac realized that Colin was gay And we see Colin like trying to reach out to Isaac on multiple occasions and Isaac just wanting none of it. And so Colin ultimately goes to see Trent. And I love that Trent's now wearing a T-shirt, like a totally different Trent. No. So I you said that last time, too, but it's actually not like he wears these T-shirts a lot, actually. But remember, he used to rock the blazer. He used to be so much more professional. He still does rock the blazer. He just often wears it over the T-shirt. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean is like there feels like a much more casualness to Trent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, He. I think he definitely, uh, you've seen the shift in like just, mm-hmm. you know, he's not out to get people anymore. He's, yep. you know, so yeah, definitely. But yeah, so he's in a, oh gosh, I think he's in a... It's like this green shirt. I didn't. I couldn't read what it was saying. I did read it. Now I just forgot what it was. But um, but yeah. Anyway, so he's just casual trend, chomping on some snacks while while Ted is, you know, playing it up with the teacher. But yeah. So Colin, you know, I love and I love this relationship between Trent and Colin. Now it's almost like Trent has become like a mentor to him. Yeah. In a lot of ways, right. And I like what Trent says. He, you know, so Colin says like, well, Isaac won't talk to me. And mm-hmm. he says, well, give him a minute. And then he says, you shouldn't have to, but some people need it. Yeah. And Colin understands that. He says, okay, fine. You know, but then we see like, as they move into the game portion of it and how Isaac won't fist bump Colin like he does with everybody else. Well, even the hand thing, like when they put the hands in yeah. and he's and he's exhibiting a lot of like homophobic behavior, what you could interpret as homophobic behavior. Yeah. Right. Because he's like, he doesn't want to be in the same room with him. He doesn't want to touch him. He doesn't want to. So, yeah, you're wondering the whole time, like, where does this guy stand? I thought he'd be cool with it. Right. Yeah. And before that, just after after their training, Colin had asked um, Isaac if he wanted to get a beer and he just said no and walked away. Right. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of like homophobic tendencies. It was interesting. Like what came up for you as you were seeing that? I'm curious. Well, what came up for me, and this is why I thought part of the theme was difficult conversations is like, when is it when you are ready to have that hard conversation, but the other person is it right? Because he, you know, talk about attunement. It was at least four separate times where he was looking for some certain amount of understanding. Yeah. And each and every time he got rejected. Right. And it makes me wonder with any conversation, like, you know, especially when you see it with like couples, where it's like someone wants to have this conversation right now, maybe late at night. And the other person's like, I'm not ready. Yeah. And then they, you know, and then it's like, well, who's at fault there? Right. Yeah. And then because that conversation doesn't happen, then it comes out on the pitch. Yeah. And it does, right? Because he shows up on the pitch. He's totally distracted. Isaac, they're having all kinds of issues, right? And then Colin also is distracted to a point, I guess. But then they're fighting within themselves on the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Where Isaac comes after him. And then uh, Sam has to kind of break him up and and whatnot. But then we get to the half. They have not scored. <laughs> and they almost scored, though. That was the part. It's just like. They still were playing really well. Total football was working really well. They just and that's what I kind of love about the writing here. Right. Is because you're like, oh, OK, they'll score here, you know, and then they tease you and then they didn't. But it's just like, oh, they're still coming together, you know. All right. They'll be good for the second half. No big deal. And then before that, though, there was a there was a little exchange in there that I thought was interesting. So when Van Dam, formerly Zorro, um, oh, right. He blocks the shot right from the other team. Jamie says, oh, you know, like good, good catch or, or something like that. Yeah. And he says, Zorro. And he looked and and Zorro slash Van Dam looks at him and he says, well, actually, it's Van Dam now. Yeah. It was a really interesting moment, I thought, that just like flies by really quickly because uh-huh. to me, that goes back to that heart of wanting to be seen for who I am. Uh, right. Yeah. Like yeah. it reminded yeah. me a lot about like people getting corrected for using the wrong pronouns and stuff, right? Like that if somebody has chosen to use a particular name or use a particular pronoun, yep. you know, how important is it for us to honor that and respect that, right? Yep. And I get it because I know like I have made that mistake in the, you know, like you're in the heat of conversation or whatever and, and you're not thinking. And and that's exactly what happened here, right? Between Jamie and and Van Damme. But like, uh, and but it's so easy for that to happen, right? But Absolutely. even in the midst of that, he corrected him. And so I thought, oh, that's really interesting because it feels like such a piece of his identity to him, you know? Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that because it just it flew by so quickly. Yeah, that did go by so quickly. And I was just like, what does that mean? And then, you know, I wonder why McAdoo got angry at Colin. I mean, he passed back the ball and then they got the turnover and then they scored. Um, And McAdoo was so angry at him. And at the time, I was just like, why is he so angry? Right. But at, at that point, it's just like it had already built up. McAdoo's already has so much frustration from who knows how long the past week or past few weeks that when they're walking to the <laughs> they're walking for the halftime and then our our favorite fan, <laughs> because there's always that fan. And usually there's more than one of that fan. Right. And they're just saying the worst things, you know, uses the F word. It was interesting because I was surprised that of all things McAdoo would do is that he would snap and go to the stance. 
Because usually when that happens at any sport, especially when I've seen this happen to the NBA, that person gets suspended for like multiple games. Like this is it is the worst thing you can do, mm-hmm. you know, from a sports standpoint to go into the stands as a player. But yeah, he went in there. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting, right? Because as they're walking, the guy yells it. And in the show, they they like faded they it Colin. out. They well, show Colin. They, right. And they faded it out as he yelled it. Like they they had all the other insults you could hear. And then they faded this one out. And as it happens, though, as it's faded, you see Colin just roll his eyes and keep walking, right? Like he's used to this. He's like, whatever. Yep. But then you see Isaac lose it. Yep. And so, and the interesting thing though, right, is nobody except those few people who were in that vicinity know what was actually said, right? Yep. Like, yep. Because um, even Roy, Roy's like, what is happening? And so, Roy, but to Roy's credit, he trusts that whatever it was was big enough and has the guy kicked out anyway, right? Yep. And what's kind of crazy from a real standpoint, is so yesterday Mexico played the U.S. and they ended the game early. Like, what is it? It's the the headline: Mexico fans couldn't help from chanting a gay slur at Team USA. Now the match has been suspended. So they suspended the game early because of that. So this is like a common thing wow. that happens, you know, on the pitch all the time. Yeah, there's actual a, a phrase that is said in Spanish whenever there's a goal kick that happens so there's like like this is this is real like this is always happening and players just are supposed to just ignore this yeah and so so there's two things that happen right like i mean so isaac comes in and he's just like shaking he's so angry yeah right and so ted Ted and his ted way is just like all right no one's gonna say anything like what happened right i love that he just sits there and lets it be silent to see who steps up which is such a great leadership moment right there, right? Yeah. And Ted says, you know, your your reaction is totally like out of proportion to right. You know, someone saying a word and then Isaac is just like, yeah, but you know, what if one of us was gay and what if what if what if, right? And then he storms out. So now we've got two things happening. We've got like Roy going after Isaac and then you've got the team discussion. Yeah. And it was interesting. So I don't know, like, which one do you want to start with? Well, let's start with the team discussion, right? So it's first kind of amusing that they're like, oh, well, you know, someone's just like, oh, it's because Isaac's gay. That makes sense. Or it could be somebody else. And everyone starts looking around and guessing. They're now trying to guess. And then they all guess that it's Jamie. And Jamie's like, thank you. I'm flattered, you know? <laughs> so like, that's interesting. And it was like, you know, you're sitting there being like, okay, is Colin going to say something like this would be the perfect time, Colin, for you to speak up, you know? And then I love how they cut and edit it because at one point it was like, he wasn't going to say anything, you know? And you thought it was just going to be like, they were just going to move on. And then he finally was like, okay, I'll say something. And then they don't show it. Yeah. Which is, I think even better writing yeah. because it's just like, you already know what he's going to, you know, or he'll say something, you know, similar to probably what he said to other people, but you don't need to see it. Exactly. You don't need to see it. And I thought that was so well done in how it is. I agree. And then how they were like, wow, it's not that big of a deal. And that's the part that I found really interesting. What about that? 
Well, he says, you know, there are like people are like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, that's not that big of a deal. And this one person said, or I forgot which one said, oh, yeah, we don't care. Danny. Danny says we don't care in that way of like, you know, we are not judgmental. But then Ted then tells the Denver Broncos story, which is an amazing story, even though it's not relevant in the football context. But I just love that. It was just the idea of just like, no, we do care. And we're here with you throughout this. And I thought that was really amazing. And telling it from the standpoint of, you know, his friend who had to watch Denver Bronco Super Bowls all by himself. And that's like, it really does suck. Then you you feel like you have to do it all by yourself. And he should have been there for him. And I love that he says, we'll be there for you in, in whatever capacity you want us to be. And that's just beautiful. Like that, I, I think, is so much better. Well. So first, I want to say that the Denver Broncos thing was purely Jason Sudeikis. It was not Ted Lasso because, well, maybe it was, but. I remember that Denver Broncos team, though. They I were do, bad. too. No, well, no, in the 80s, we won two back-to-back Super Bowls. Oh, no, someone, someone, is, someone, is, somebody is sensitive about the Broncos. I didn't know you were a Broncos fan. Oh, my. I grew up in Denver, man. <laughs> you were horrible in the 80s. You were horrible. Uh, yeah, probably. What I love, though, again, going back to writing, is this was an entirely awkward conversation. Like, this whole thing, right? Like, you had a bunch of people trying to say the right thing, right? Like, oh, we don't care, blah, blah, blah. But, like, yeah. and then you've got Ted with this, I mean, this story that had nothing to do with this other than to say, like, you know, we 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 don't not care, right? Like, yeah. but it was just awkward. And... I think that's so true to life. Like when someone tells you something that's so personal, sometimes it is hard. Like we don't know the right thing to say. Right. And this is where to me, this was kind of the empathy piece of it where I don't know if we've talked about it before, but Brené Brown, I think we have Brené Brown has this great little um, video on empathy. It's like a, a cartoon video with the cave. Yeah. With, with the, the cave. cave right? Yeah. And it's one of my favorites. I show it at a lot of workshops and stuff. And she talks about empathy. And in it, she gives the example that sometimes people say something to you and you just don't know what to say. But mm -hmm. it's enough to just say, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say in this moment, but I'm so glad you told me, right? Like, we don't have to know how to say the exact right thing or whatever. Because, And to your point about difficult conversations is this is what often holds people back yep. from having those conversations because they're scared that they're not going to say the right thing or they're going to offend somebody or they're... And really, like, empathy is about just, like, it's not about you. It's about, like, stepping back to think about how is this other person feeling? What are they experiencing? And, you know, I think we've talked about this idea of mirror neurons in our brain, right? So we have these mirror neurons, they allow us to, uh, they're what allow us to feel empathy because they allow us to mimic the experience or the emotion that the other person is giving us. And so this is why sometimes like when we encounter someone who's so angry, like we in, in return become that way, right? Yep. But so in the same way, like, you know, Colin, Colin's been holding this secret for his whole life, you know? He's known his team members for all these years. And like, so to imagine what that must be like for him, like that, that's what it's about, right? Is, is being in that space with him. It also reminded me of like when people say stuff like, oh, well, I don't, I don't see color. 
Right. You know, I don't see uh, race. And it's like, then you don't see me. Like, that is a part of who I am. Yeah. And so it's not about just being like, oh, yeah, I don't see that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter because it's a part of my identity. It matters so much. I really liked how they did that because it it was it was a little uncomfortable. It was a little like awkward, but that it was so real, you know. Yeah, and and empathy's messy. Empathy and communication's messy, and I think we shy away from it because we want it to be perfect, right? Yeah, you know, I've talked so much about how you know plays the opposite of perfection, and they were playing. They were like even in that moment. And I, what I loved most about that scene was just Trent in the background, just smiling away and just being like, "This is why I'm here. Like, this is why I'm writing a story about this team for these moments." And I love that you brought up the uh, Brene Brown going into the cave, you know, to have real empathy rather than just compassion from outside the cave. Because that visual is what Roy does with McAdoo, you know, like Roy goes down the cave with McAdoo and then McAdoo is like, don't come in here. And then Roy's like, I'm not here to yell at you. I'm just going to sit in the cave with you, you know, and they just sat there together, all awkward, you know, and then he was just like, hey, you know, what's up? And there was a moment. <laughs> this would have been one of my more favorite moments is. You know, they're sitting there, they're having their conversation. And then all of a sudden, the kit man comes out of nowhere. <laughs> shining shoes in the middle of the game, which is also super weird. But I'm like, whatever. And then he says, you know, you know, the things that we get mad about are snowflakes on the mountain. We're one sneeze away from the avalanche killing us all. And I'm like, who is this man? <laughs> like coming out of here with the gems. Mm -hmm. And then he does another one. Then Roy's like, OK, you got one. All right, get out of here. But I just loved that. I love that that Roy was willing to sit with him and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm, let's sit in the awkwardness together. Exactly. And he says, I don't need to know what happened, but I know that whatever it is wasn't what you're really angry about. Yeah. And that you have to deal with that, because if you don't, you'll fuck up what you actually do care about. Yeah. Which is ironic because that's what he's done. With, he had done that with Keeley. He had done that himself. So he gets it. What's interesting, well, is that he takes that to heart. And when he finally does go to Colin's house, what I found to be really interesting was, like, I love the word choices that are used, right? Mm. And so he doesn't say, why didn't you tell me? He says, what was it about me that made you think you couldn't tell me? Mm -hmm. And it's such a like a, a subtle difference. But the first one, why didn't you tell me, puts the blame on Colin. Yep. Right. But the second one, which is what is it about me that made you think you couldn't tell me, uh, makes it really clear that Isaac, this whole time, like the anger that he's been exhibiting is actually towards himself. Right. Yep. And so I thought that that was actually really beautiful. Like, it's such a precise way of of asking the question. And it also then makes so much sense because the whole time you're like, is McAdoo homophobic? Like, what's going on with him? And it's like, oh, no, he's just angry because his close, one of he considers one of his closest friends had not told him something that's so important to him. And I think he felt like, are we not friends? Like, you could have told me in this way. And then I love what Colin said. Colin's like, I haven't told anyone in 20 years. Like, 
Like this is extremely difficult for me to tell anybody, right? And once I told you, then I, it was just <laughs> so hard. You know, it was so hard to keep that a secret, right? Because maybe he's usually horrible at keeping secrets. That was actually a little bit of a joke, right? Like that was Colin trying to bring levity to the right but this idea of both of them feeling awkward at that moment being like look it's not your fault and listen it's not my fault either it's just like this is just where how we both felt you know and i get it and i love that then he asks him to come and hang out yeah i mean that was really nice but i'm not sure that i'm entirely convinced that isaac isn't a little bit homophobic because oh interesting so he definitely um has difficulty being vulnerable and expressing his feelings, right? Like, which is common for a lot of men. And I shouldn't say men, just people in general. It's not always easy to be vulnerable. That's kind of at the heart of what this was about, was that he was so wrapped up in his own head that and afraid to be honest about why he was upset that he didn't realize that he was about to kind of ruin his relationship with his best friend. But I think part of why he was so mad at himself is because you know, in past episodes, like he he's made comments like homophobic comments. Oh, and we've seen him do it. Right. And so. Right. Right. So right. it's that point at which we start to recognize that we are contributing to hurting somebody else. Right. And I thought that that was actually really interesting because, well, so two things. Number one, I, I like that, you know, at the end that he still can't say I love you. Because they're not trying to like wrap it all up in a bow and be like, okay, now everything's fine. It's like right. growth takes time and it takes work and it's not going to be like easy and pretty and, and you know, resolved in 45 minutes, right? So I like that. But the thing that it really made me start thinking about is um, going back to the thing that Roy says later in the press conference around, you don't know what other people are going through, right? Mm -hmm. And so how easy is it sometimes for us to like pile on when, you know, in a negative way against somebody. But when it becomes personal is when we start to kind of think about our actions, right? When it becomes something that in impacts somebody we know is when we start to think about our actions. But like, I just kept making me think about like, well, what if, like, what could be possible if we started thinking like that all the time, mm -hmm. you know, where it didn't have to be that I know that person who it's going to impact, right? But rather, I don't know what's going on in their lives or what has happened in their lives up to now. And, you know, like, why can't kindness be the norm rather than, right? you know what I mean? I don't know. It just got me thinking about that. I mean, I found it really special when they're playing FIFA together and he's asking all these questions. Yeah, for sure. You know, the top and bottom questions and just being like, I don't know this world. Explain this world to me. Right. And again, that's like it's empathy. Right. But it's messy. Right. It's not clean at all. Uh, but he's trying. Right. And that that part I found really special and really positive. Totally. I totally agree. And it, and it goes to that piece of we do care. Like, I do care. And it's also very real. Like, I've seen it when straight and gay men get together. I remember it was part of this men's circle. And it was literally a bunch of us straight men asking all these random ass questions that we did not know. And it was just like, this is the this is us have trying to find a certain uh, common understanding about a world that, yeah, that we're completely unfamiliar with, but want to not be ignorant about. Yeah, but it also goes back to, like, 
sometimes when we think about it in the context of race like oh it's yeah it could be exhausting you know? too right it could be exactly really annoying. Right? right like so it's just like, it's not my job to educate you like right you need to get educated. but 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 i do agree with you like i do think it's a a tender moment between the two of them isaac is very like bro-ish right he's like the epitome of being a bro right. and right. so it's his kind of bro-y way of trying to like connect and learn but there's going to have to be some education on his part on his own too. And I was thinking about the comments though, like during this episode from the other players before Colin, you know, comes out, right. A lot of them, I guess are saying a lot of what could be interpreted as homophobic comments. So it wasn't just McAdoo. It was just no. like, it's just a bro locker room. Right? Exactly. And to think that Colin, has had to be part of those bro locker rooms his entire life. You know, yeah, that's just tough, dude. Yeah. And so, you know, there's been a lot of interesting like chatter on online about, oh, you know, why didn't he just come out to everybody then? Like, why is he being a coward and not, you know, in only telling the team? Or And I was like, whoa. Like, but I think, you know, I think, again, it was very real to the, con like, within the context, right? Like, okay, so he finally, after all these years, came out to his team. And those are the people that love him, support him, know him the best. Yeah. He's still in a professional sports yeah. context, right? Like, just because his team is supportive does not mean that the fans are going to be supportive, that the rest, of, you know, so it's not surprising that he would say, you know what, I'm good. Like, this is good for me. right. This now. is good. This is good enough for now. Right. And and tying it, to, you know, real again with the real world, uh, the first HBCU gay athlete just came out. This is the first time, uh, you know, predominantly uh, black university uh, athlete came out as gay and it was like a big deal. You know, so and they're still not it's still not very prevalent uh, with men uh, in sports. So this is it's, this is much. Yeah, this is we're still at the beginning of this. Can you explain for any listeners who don't know the term HBCU? Oh, so it's a historically black uh, university and colleges and uh, homophobia is is quite huge in the black community. Uh, so for him to come out, I mean, it could it could potentially affect the scholarship. It could potentially affect his ability to get advertisements or sponsorships because now college kids can get sponsorships and his ability to become a pro athlete, you know, and that's the risk that happens when you come out as a gay man. And the last time someone came out as a gay man uh, it, at the NFL during the draft, he didn't last in the league for less than like a couple months. Yeah. So, like, it's a big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, one last thing I just want to uh, mention about this uh, going back to Trent's t shirts. So, in the locker room scene, he's wearing a Dolly Parton shirt, which I love that little detail because Dolly Parton, there's been a lot of rumors about her sexuality, which she's addressed over and over, but she is such a huge like support for the LGBTQ community. And I, I love that. And she talks about how like, you know, we don't need to do God's job. Like God is the one who judges. Like we just need to love everybody as they are. And and so I really love that. So I love that they have him wearing a Dolly t-shirt through all of that. I thought that was cute. 
I also recently saw a TikTok from this uh, trans activist, Alok, who's like amazing, by the way. Everything I've, I've heard from Alok is pretty powerful. In his activism, he was being interviewed and he was talking about, you know, all the transphobia that's been coming up recently. And he can tell from the people that are usually attacking there, you know, it's that whole idea of like hurt people, hurt people. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think of like that uh, fan in the in the crowd and, you know, throwing their homophobic comments. And Alok talks about how, you know, so many of the people that are angry are clearly hurt and clearly disconnected from their own humanity. Mm-hmm. And because of that, then they begin to lash out at other people because they're so angry at the trans c- community for being themselves, for being free and, and brave enough to be themselves and be out and about. And and other people that you know are part of potentially conservative or or challenging situations don't feel they can be that. So instead, they express it in this extremely angry and sometimes violent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was really powerful. And we just knew it was going to happen. But what was amazing about, you know, Colin coming out to the team is then, of course, he gets two assists in the second half. Yeah. Right. Because now, he, again, you can be more of your full self. And when you can be your full self, that's when you play better. That's when you show up better. That's when you can be you you trust your instincts more and you're not questioning it mm-hmm. rather than when he did probably did that pass back in the first half. It was because he didn't feel he had trust either within the team or within McAdoo. Yeah. So that that I just love that whole part. Yeah, I did, too. I think that it's such it's such a great example. And he essentially is named like the MVP, right? Like, the, yeah, whatever the British version of that is. But yeah, and it really does go to show that when you when you're able to show up fully as who you are, it just changes your mindset too, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah. And there's an interesting part about media at that point, because then they could have spent, the media could have spent that time, you know, talking about the fact that they came back and won two, one, down a person, down one person, which is really difficult to do. It's really difficult to even score one goal, let alone two goals when you're down 10 to 11, right? But instead of that, they focus on the controversy, you know, and then are like, oh, there must be all this like craziness in the in in the locker room. And frankly, people are getting along. So you, you just like the difference. Then the media is always like trying to conjure up more than you really is is out there and and for a team to be really successful they really do have to like sound out the media and sound out everyone else well especially because so much of it is based on speculation right like they don't even know what what was actually said like the when the when they go to the sports center or whatever and you've got the former coach and whatever he cuts off the other guy because the other yep. guy's like, well, you don't even know. And then he just like cuts him off and it's just like, yep. it doesn't even matter, you know, like. And so, yeah, so it's all based on speculation. And um, so, yeah, you do have to just learn to tune out that noise because it doesn't help. Right. And that's what I love about Roy in the press conference is because he's like, yeah, yeah. so let's talk about that. Because what I love about what Roy said in the press conference about talking about the Sunderland guy that. You got potentially kicked off the team and everything like that is like and then finding out that the Sunderland guy, you know, 
the reason why he was like so triggered by Roy making a comment about his baby was because they had lost their child and then turning to the medium being like, you don't know what people are going through. And frankly, why did Isaac do it? You know, it's it's none of my business, none of my fucking business. Right. And I think that is so powerful because probably 80 to 90 percent of sports talk shows is all speculation. It's mm-hmm. all just like coming up with new dramas that may or may not be true and then attacking players about those traumas and asking them about those those potential like issues as if they're real. And I love that Roy was just like, we're human beings like anyone else. So why are you not treating us that way? Yeah. And he doesn't just say, you know, uh, it's none of my business, but he says, you know, I don't know why he did what he did, but I give him love. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in this, yes. I give him love. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And then, yeah. And in this idea of just because I'm a public figure doesn't give you the right to crap all over me. Right. Like, right. At the end of the day, um, like I'm still like, we're still human. And this is like, this is what's at the heart of my book is this idea that like with humanitarians or public servants, um, first responders, anybody who's in this business of like serving other people, you know, we're often made to feel like that's all we do is like, we're, we're supposed to serve others and we're not supposed to worry about, you know, or take care of ourselves in the process or whatever. And a lot of these organizations, even though their mission is to, you know, serve the world's most vulnerable, like they don't, see their own people as people. And so, you know, at the end of the day, like we are just human beings like that. That's, that's it. Like we're imperfect. We get exhausted. We get sick, all these things. And we are not machines to just like, you know, and so same thing with these professional athletes or, or actors or, or whatever, like, you know, I, it's been interesting. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts in the last couple of years that have actors and, you know, people who are famous or whatever. And the level of insecurity and fear that a lot of these people carry around, like it's, it's real, you know? And, you know, even with this podcast, as you remember, like my fear of like putting some, you know, it's very, it takes a, it's, it makes you so vulnerable to put yourself out there like this to be judged. And when you see, especially in this day of like anonymous comments and stuff, people are so mean. So mean. And it's like, why? Like, why do we need to be so mean? Just that's a human being that you're just tearing down because for whatever reason, you know, like if you don't like what they did or what they said, fine, like you can express that, but there's a way to do it without being so personal and without forgetting that you're dealing with another human. I remember recently seeing this podcast interview. I think it's a, it was a musician slash actress. And she's like, it's really difficult for people to have empathy for me because like, you know, they see that I'm successful and they see that I'm, you know, I have a lot of money and I, there's a lot of things that are really going well for me. And so when I complain about something as simple as like not being able to the go to the grocery store, like that's really tough for me. But I understand also why people would not be like, oh, woe is me, because like you have everything, everything that that potentially I want. And she was just like, yeah, fame isn't really as much cracked up to be as 
as everyone makes it out to be. Like it's it has its own issues that are really challenging. But I think because we get paid so much money and we get so much of the spotlight that people feel they can say whatever they want to us because that's the exchange mm-hmm. for us getting so much. Well, and we never see the full story, right? We're never going to see 100% of anybody's lives unless we're in them, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's been the whole thing, right? We've talked about that for a long time around social media and stuff like that. You see the best of the best. And now we see a lot of like the worst of the worst too, because people are recognizing that, oh, if I'm, if I'm vulnerable, like that might make it, you know, like that might help people connect to me. But honestly, sometimes I feel like that's also used in like a, a way to get people to follow them and, and things like that more than. It's so interesting now because even the word fame is, is very loosely used because you have like YouTube stars and TikTok stars and yeah. all these different influencers stages. And the whole time you're like, some people are like, I have no idea who that is. Like you, you are famous to a certain world, but I don't know who you are. Yeah. But yeah, because now every it's, ironic but it's almost like everyone wants to be on stage right so then who is the audience yeah well so you know i i really loved seeing this side of roy and uh we got here because of rebecca Mm -hmm. and so she tells him that she needs him to fill in at a press conference he's initially just like no and then he kind of like backs off of that a little bit Uh, but then he convinces beard to step in for the initial one and that's just bad news because Beard is uh, just not the right guy. He's not the right person for that. No. And he ends up insulting the press over the guitar players, which I thought was really funny. So then Rebecca has to step in and she's mad. Like she asked him to do something. He just chose not to do it. And she calls him out on it. And, you know, we we saw her initially call him out back when they were... Um, in Amsterdam and she says when he asked where Keely went and she says oh she you know she's gone to somebody who believes that they deserve her and we see her say it again like you yep. know what are you doing like what do you yep. want and get out of your own way you know yep no no I just love that I mean first I love the part where she was like get your hairy ass into my office you know and then he's like he gets angry at the team he's like every single one of you know that my ass isn't hairy <laughs> and I will never forgive you. <laughs> and then Isaac's like, he's right. We're cowards. Now, if we're talking about Richard's butt, I was like, I love that. I just love that whole scene. <laughs> but no, but what I loved about Rebecca, and, and it was so good that I had to write it down. And I thought this was so powerful. And she was like, after she says, what do you want? And he's like, I just want to be left alone. And she's like, caught the shit, you know, like what? She goes, you want way more than that. You are just so convinced that you don't deserve anything good in your life that you'd rather eat a bowl of shit soup and then complain about the portions. Get out of your own way, man. And I was like, that is hilarious. Yeah. And so well done. And also, every one of us knows a person like that that'd rather eat a bowl of shit soup and then be like, this is this is not that good and it's really small. Yeah. And my life sucks and everything. My sucks life sucks and-, and everything sucks. And just, the you know, and very what is the word? Is it nihilistic? Is that the 
term where you think fatalistic. Right? Like everything's like eh, everything's faded and like whatever. It's just it's all downhill and it's all bad all the time. And I love that she called him out on that. Yeah, I did too. And you know, and it gets him to start thinking. So, you know, this all happens, and then there's the conversation. Like he steps up to go have the conversation with Isaac because he knows he's the best person to do that. And her whole point was like you know, are you just, cause she says, you know, is that the plan for the rest of your life? Just to walk away from everything the second it isn't fun or easy. And it's so relatable, right? Like how often do we just set aside things because they're out there? It's scary. Like I, I don't want to do this thing. So I'm just, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. Like, yeah. And I don't care about it, even though right. you do care about it, even yep. though you care about it. And even though, it could open up something so much more beautiful down the line that you don't even know about, right? Like you can't see everything that's going to happen. And so, but it's like, it's so easy in those moments where either I'm not having fun anymore, I'm bored, like I'm going to let go of this thing, or I just want things to be easy. And the thing is, when we just follow easy, 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 we never grow. Yep. Like that growth happens in the moments of challenge, right? Yep. And so she's she's trying to get him to see that. And and so he volunteers to do the post-game press conference because he knows that he needs to. <laughs> yep. It was really nice because I like that you can see also how Ted has rubbed off on him, right? Because mm -hmm. he takes a minute to think and he answers a question with starting with a story about himself, which you mm -hmm. talked about. And then he gets playful with the press, right? Like, I love the the names that he comes up for each of them, right? Like Goblin King. <laughs> yeah. Five o'clock Shadowhead, New Trend. Right. And so I thought that that was really sweet. And you see that moment of exchange between him and Rebecca as well, right? It's mm -hmm. like this little bit mm -hmm. of like, okay, I see you and, you know, good, right? And so the song that starts playing here is um, All That You Are by Bear's Den. And this, I love this song so much, but it's interesting because it's also, it overlaps with Nate's storyline, which I want to talk about real quickly too. But the lyrics of the song are that they, that show up in those moments are, I hope you find someone who loves you for all that you are. And then it says, I hope I find someone who loves me for all that I am. So going back into that theme of just being seen as who I am and being accepted in that space. And it's not just being accepted by the other person, but accepting ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, beautiful song. And I also just love that, like, while he's up there, you're like, oh, he's a head coach. He's head coach material. Like I was getting that vibe uh -huh. the whole time, Yeah, you know, and even how he addressed like Colin, he was just like, you know, with new Trent, new Trent's like, you should have, shouldn't you be playing him more? And he's like, yeah, we should be playing him more. Like, it was just so well done um, and giving that person credit uh, or giving Colin credit and celebrating him. But I think the other part that I loved about the, the Sunderland story is that 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 also is like classic Ted. <laughs> yeah, is like, yes, it is. He's it is a story like when does Roy ever tell stories like right? Right. And especially to the press of all people, like stories are vulnerable. That is the exact opposite of Roy, you know, and especially of the vulnerability in that piece is it doesn't make him look great. 
No, right? it like when do we like to tell stories about ourselves that where we really look like jerks, you know? Where yeah, where he ruined somebody's soccer life for good, you yeah. know, by just making some like joke up. And now he sees that guy in a pub not playing the game that he loves anymore. Like that's powerful. After, the only other t- after having experienced such a tragic loss. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And the last time I remember te- uh, Roy telling a story like that was when he was in the locker room with Trent and sharing yeah. the story about the article that Trent wrote. about. Exactly. So, like that's the last time we saw Roy tell where I remember him telling. So the fact that he does that publicly is a really big deal. It is. Know? Yeah. And what's also the other thing that just came to mind as you were talking is that this whole time that he has not been believing this and Rebecca yells at him and all of that. It's Keely. Keely's the one who suggested it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. She says he doesn't like to do it, but he's actually very good at it. Mm-hmm. So she she knew he could do this. Right. And, and and she knew he could do this because remember when they used to flirt way back when. And remember when he was at the press conference by himself and Keely was mm-hmm. running from seat to seat. Yeah. Being like, well, I can't. I have a question for you. <laughs> So like she's been like she's seen it from the beginning. Oh, I love I love these writers. I love these writers. <laughs> All right. So I want to I want to switch and talk about Nate real quick. Oh, man. Yeah. So we see we see Nate continuing to grow. And um, I love that Jade like I, I really, really like Jade. I did not like her at the beginning, but boy, she has really grown on me. I love Jade or short for jaded. I love that it's short for jaded. I really appreciate Jade. I still get a little weirded out whenever I see Nate kissing. I don't know why. It's just me. Uh, you know, uh, because I just see him like a kid so much of the time. But man. But it's funny because like I was going to say for Jade, like even as I'm saying this right now that she's grown on me, the reality is that I made a lot of assumptions about who she was. Right. And so yeah, she she's great. And she's so good for yeah, him. She is like, great. She you know, is great. and she seems so like solid in who she is. Yes. Right. Yes. Which is so needed for Nate. Yeah. Who is not. Yeah. Who is like, you know, I love that as she comes in, she's like, yeah, I got to bring back one West Ham logo thing with a, their logo on it. And he's just like, he's still in such the Nate you know, a uh, honeymoon phase where he's just trying to, you know, give her whatever she needs. Yeah. He even throws water out of his own cup to give it to her. So I love that. And then, oh, Rupert, 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 Rupert. I, I, I'm going to start referring to Rupert as a colonizer. That's what I'm going to just call Rupert because Rupert is constantly trying to colonize things. He's, I feel like Rupert sees everyone as a thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone is like a commodity or something that he can own or take over. And I feel like as soon as he sees Jade, he's like, I'm going to sleep with Jade. Like I could see it in his eyes. I'm going to either sleep with her or use her against Nate so that I can get even more power over Nate. Oh, uh, and then when he's just like, don't screw this up, he says it's the same way in which he said about the team, right? Yeah. So regardless of how many wins Nate does, like this dude is it's insatiable. Like yeah. he's constantly wanting to win in every aspect and one up every aspect. 
And it's really kind of sad that he wants to now destroy Nate's new relationship, you know, with like, you know, whatever he was trying to do when they went out for guys night out. Yeah, it's like he's constantly also asserting that he's the alpha male in the room, right? Like, right. And so it's probably worked for him in the past where, you know, like he compliments her smile, figures out her dialect. Yeah, let me talk about your dialect Uh. and, you know, and then jokes about how she's, you know, out of Nate's league. Yep. And so it's like it's these little like digs kind of, Mm -hmm. but it's like you can you can watch the wheels turning in his head as he's kind of sussing her out to figure out like, what's this woman about? And, you know, like where where exactly like you're saying, like, where can I get in here? You know? Yep. And also, is she a threat to me? Mm, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because she could empower Nate to say no. Yeah. Which in in a way she does. Because, you know, that was a really big deal when Nate goes out for guys night out thinking it's going to be like Ted Lasso, like I'm going to build a relationship with him. We're going to I get to meet you, Rupert, and actually find out who you are. And Rupert's like, hey, I got these two ladies and you're going to be cheating on your girlfriend tonight, you know, or alluding to that. And Nate has the audacity to say no to that guy. Like, that is a huge deal because I don't think, has he ever said no to him? Mm-mm. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 No, that's huge. And so Jade's responses. So again, the writing in this was really interesting, right? Because she says, it's worthwhile to meet you. Right. Like, And then after he leaves, she says, he seems very wealthy and nice, like, not nice, but nice, like, uh-huh. And, you know, so you could attribute it to like, oh, maybe English is not her first language. But I think it's like her word choices are very specific. Yeah. And so I thought that that was actually really interesting. And then Nate's working late and Rupert comes by. And it's I don't know if you noticed, but when they show Nate with his back to the door and Rupert starts to walk up, the music actually shifts. Oh. And it becomes a lot darker. So like it's always the empire whenever yeah. Rupert is in the room. Oh, but be, <laughs> even before that, I feel as if Jade Jade knows. I feel like Jade knows Rupert. Oh yeah, in the sense of like because she's a hostess, which means she is constantly having to read people. She knows that self congratulatory narcissist any any at any time. And she may have even at one point thought Nate was one of, you know, those people. Yeah. So so that's I love that you said or pointed out the fact that she says he's nice like because it's like he has a facade hiding his colonizer, dark empire ways. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. She sees him for what he is. And then so when Nate is working late, you know, Rupert just walks in and now he's digging in even a little bit deeper, right? Like, again, very subtle. Like, he forgets Jade's name and yep. he grabs a piece of baklava without, like, asking and or being offered. You know, like, these little things, again, just these power moves of, like, you know, like, I, I'm the the person here. And mm-hmm. when he shows up at the um, the club and Rupert, you know, introduces him to the women, I was like, oh, man. 
Yeah. And I was like, come on, Nate, don't do it. Don't do I it. I know. I know. And he and, and Rupert doesn't even know their names. Yeah. Or it doesn't mean he gets their names confused. So again, you can just tell he's again using these women as commodities. Yeah. And he wants to make Nate his mini me. You know, it could end up if Nate chose to go with Rupert, he could end up becoming a Rupert like 10 years from now. Exactly. And so, you know, what's interesting is that after the the match, uh, after Nate's match, he's looking at his phone, right? So he's seeing the headlines about McAdoo and you don't see him like smirking or, you know, like he's just kind of looking at it yep. um, with a little bit of curiosity. And we also see he's not isolating himself anymore, right? Yep. So the guy that in the very first episode, he's told him to just get out. Yep. Is now like inviting him to, a, you know, to have a, a pint with them. And, and yep. he tells them like, oh, well, maybe next time. Right. And so and he's also like, I guess, getting comfortable enough where now he is just calling him Rupert to everybody. Right. So and so we see these like little shifts happening. But uh, when he chooses not to stay, he just goes to Jade and that there's not a word exchanged between the two of them. Right. It's just that hug. And like um, and again, the shift here, the song that's playing again is that All That You Are by Bearsden. So it shifts from the um, the press conference over to Nate and Jade hugging. And so it's the same set of words again, right? About finding someone to love for who they are and that they love you back that way. And I feel like he and Jade have that with each other, right? And so, yeah, I thought that was really, I thought it was lovely. I'm fascinated with how the storyline for Nate is is going to end and his relationship with Rupert, because Rupert might find that so insulting that he just said no to him. Mm. So I'm like wondering what happens after that, like what type of punishment yeah. is Rupert going to inflict, you know, because, you know, you can't just do that to Rupert. That's insulting. So, yeah, we shall see. Um all right. So what are your biggest takeaways from today's episode? Um, And I know we didn't talk about this, but, oh, you know, Keely getting ghosted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that was, you know, and I don't really know where. But again, I felt like that was kind of like tying into difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just this part of like, you know, yeah, yeah it's what you said earlier. It's, it's, it's being vulnerable, feeling seen, feeling vulnerable and and being OK that, you know, you're showing up as as messy. I um, mean, I even found it really interesting that, you know, when Keely's just like, OK, now you can say whatever you want about about my ex. <laughs> <laughs> and Higgins is just like, why is your handshake so firm? It's just like, yes, I get it. You're friendly. You know, and I was like and and that came off as so mean for Higgins because Higgins is never mean about anyone. He was the only one who said something to Beard last time. Right. About Jane. That's true. And then and Rebecca still stays silent. Right. Even after all that. That's true. So you got. Yeah, I just, I just love that. But yes, the the takeaway and the thing that I'm, I'm getting from this is like, you know, compassion and and spe- specifically empathy is messy, you know, and messy is a good thing. If you're feeling awkward as you're really trying to build a relationship with someone at times, like that might sometimes be a good sign. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway. I really like that. But for me, I think it's. Just, again, interesting to think about how often we minimize or ignore things or take part in something without thinking about how it's impacting another person until it becomes personal to us. 
um, and becomes like this moment of reckoning. And so I really want to keep thinking about this idea of you just don't know what another person is yeah. going through and trying to be, I guess, more kind from one moment to the next, I think is a, a big one. So, and, and learning to see people as human beings, you know, or remembering to see them as human beings. So, mm, so good. Oh, I love Ted Lasso so much. Okay. I'm excited for the next episode. Me too. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, yet another lovely discussion and I appreciate you so much. And um, thank you everyone for listening. We will see you again next week. See you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? (laughs) 